Welcome back to Crime Army. I am your host, Margot, and this is Military Murder, a show where I focus on crimes committed by military members and veterans. But don't worry, you don't have to know anything about the military to listen, I promise. You just have to be a true crime enthusiast. And if that's you, welcome home. Today's story has been recommended to me every few months since I started the show, and I've always wanted to look into it, but it wasn't until recently when I sat down to watch the documentary that I was like, wait, what happened? All I know is that this case is a real head-scratcher, and you will see why. Join me today as I tell you about an internet love triangle that caused a young man to lose his life. This is the story of Marine Sniper, Tall Hot Blonde, and Beefcake Brian Barrett. Now, let's dig in. My sources for this episode include a documentary found on Amazon Prime titled Tall Hot Blonde, and reporting by 2020, ABC News, CBS News, and The New York Times. If you're listening to this and you were born before 1995, do you remember a time without computers, without cell phones, without 24-7 connectivity? I mean, I remember when we got our first giant computer at home, and I felt so cool. I was one of the first ones to get it. It took 8,000 years to log on, but this little sound always tended to bring me so much joy. Do you recall your first screen name? (laughs) Mine was something like Chanita something or other. It was a nickname my family had for me when I was a baby. Anyway, today's story begins in an internet chat room found on pogo.com. Before I started looking into this case, I had never heard of pogo.com, but I'm happy to report that this is still around today. And well, it's an online gaming website where you register and you can play all kinds of games. I'm looking at it right now and they have Monopoly Sudoku. They have something called Quinn's Aquarium, which looks like a version of Mahjong. And they have Scrabble. And that's just to name a few. So it's May 2005. And on Pogo, there's an 18-year-old whose screen name is Marine Sniper. While he was playing Blackjack, he's simultaneously in different chat rooms and a message pops up. It's from user Blonde. Marine Sniper says hi, and they strike up a conversation. Taha Blonde asked Marine Sniper if he knew that they were chatting in a teen chat room. And Marine Sniper is like, yeah, well, that's cool, considering I'm only 18 years old. They laugh it off, and they begin to lay the foundation for a year-long relationship. So who is Marine Sniper? His real name is Tommy, and he's 18, like I said. He's a Marine getting ready to ship off to the Iraq War. He's six foot tall, muscular build, red hair. And Tall Hot Blonde, her real name is Jessie, and she's exactly as her screen name suggests. She's 18 years old in high school. She plays softball and basketball, and she's tall, hot, and blonde. She's getting ready for the prom, and she lived in Oakville, West Virginia. And then, out of nowhere, while they're having this conversation, Jessie sent Tommy a few pictures of herself, innocent pictures, and she's beautiful. She's like a real life Barbie doll. Tommy sent a picture of himself all suited up in his official Marine Corps picture. He looks amazing. 
Almost as soon as Tommy and Jesse begin chatting online, their online friendship quickly blossoms into something more. They're basically attached to their computers 24-7. They chat well into the wee hours of the night, sometimes until 5 or 6 in the morning. They bond over family trauma. Tommy told Jesse that his mom died when he was a young boy and he had felt lonely ever since. And the reason he joined the Marines was because he was hoping he would just die. And of course, this allowed Jesse to open up as well about her life. At one point, Tommy is sad to say goodbye to Jesse, but duty calls and he's deployed on a covert mission and he won't have communications. So he told Jesse that he won't be able to talk for a while. And while Jesse is sad, She's actually kept somewhat updated on Tommy's whereabouts by Tommy's dad, who often updates her and checks in on her. Eventually, Tommy is back online and he continued to chat with Jesse. Tommy, a.k.a. Marine Sniper, is obsessed with this girl. She's everything he's ever wanted in a mate. She's sexy. She's naughty. Hello, cybersex. But she's a virgin. By the way, not only are they chatting online, but they also chat on the phone. So they've heard each other's voices. Jesse even sent Tommy little knickknacks to his house. Like she sent a little chain that said Tommy and Jesse forever. And it was like kind of like cracked in half, you know, the little hearts. And one day he received a package with a pair of red lacy undies. Tommy is so over the moon that he asked Jesse to marry him. And she said yes, even though they've never actually physically met in person, nor have they FaceTime, nor Skyped, nor Zoomed. Because Zoom wasn't even a thing back then. So it's March 2006 and Jessie is so excited to see a letter arrive in the mail. She tears the letter open to find a picture of a middle-aged couple and two young girls. Jessie opened the letter that came with the picture and her jaw was on the floor. It read in part, Jessie, this is a picture of my family. This man is Tom. He's my husband, a 46-year-old married man with two daughters, and he's taking advantage of you. Don't trust words on a computer. And then this letter is signed Cindy Montgomery. Jessie is sick to her stomach. You see, she just found out that Marine Sniper, who she's been chatting with since May of 2005, is not an 18-year-old Marine at all. Instead, he's a middle-aged married man who lives in upstate New York. Jesse immediately got online and she got a hold of Marine Sniper and she raised hell. She told him how disgusted she was of him being a dirty old pervert. She told him he should be in jail for lying to her and that she was done with his old ass. And she couldn't believe that she had been sexting with this old dude. Tommy, a.k.a. Marine Sniper, is in reality now 47-year-old Thomas Montgomery. He was 46 years old when all of this started. He's been married to his wife, Cindy, for 17 years, and they have two teenage daughters together. So they're either teenagers or like preteens. While Tommy was no longer a Marine, he was actually a Marine veteran. But 2020 did get their hands on his service records, which indicated that while he did qualify as a sharpshooter, He had never actually trained as a sniper at all, nor had he ever seen combat. Thomas Montgomery was living in upstate New York near Buffalo, where for the last 12 years, he worked as a machinist at a Dynabraid factory in Clarence, New York. Thomas was a typical middle-aged guy. He taught Sunday school at his church. He was vice president of his daughter's swim club. 
and he loved his daughters. For the longest time, Thomas wanted to quit his job and do something else, try something else. But he knew that starting a new job would mean taking a pay cut, so he stayed put. Thomas and his wife had been having some marital issues, and for a long time before he became addicted to the internet, he had been impotent, aka he couldn't perform sexually. Thomas tried to talk to ministers at church, and they encouraged him to be a better communicator with his wife, but he just couldn't, so he turned to the internet a place where he could chat with other random people, strangers, and he could share only what he wanted. And then one day, Thomas was online and he allegedly didn't realize he had been in a teen chat room when all of a sudden, Toha Blonde came around and said hi. And she told him that he was in this teen chat room. Thomas had heard about internet stings where detectives snoop around trying to find child predators. And according to him, he freaked out when Toha Blonde told him that. And he told Jesse that he was 18 years old. He said, hey, it wasn't with malice, just a little white lie. Also, he thought, well, it's not like we're going to meet. No harm, no foul. But then when he and Jesse began chatting, Thomas said that she made him feel like a kid again. She made him feel alive, like he could perform again. Even though he was now in his mid 40s, He really yearned to be that 18-year-old kid who lived inside of him and played on the internet. But one day, while he was away from his computer, his daughter was doing something online when she saw a message pop up from Tall Hot Blonde. She reported the message to her mom, Cindy. Now, Cindy had already been kind of suspicious of Tom because Thomas was glued to his computer 24-7. She had grilled him about it before, but he was like, oh, I'm just playing games online and chatting with some old buddies. So she just left it at that. But then one day, I don't know if Cindy was snooping or cleaning or what, but she found Thomas's treasure trove of trinkets that Jesse had mailed him, including those little red lacy undies. And Cindy was appalled, not only that her husband was enthralled in this online relationship, but that he dared give their address to a complete stranger. As soon as Cindy found the box with items, she confronted Thomas Montgomery. And she wanted a divorce. She was confused. She was sick to her stomach. Online cheating with a teenager? Yikes. I can only imagine the feelings that she had. Tom tried to deny everything, probably mumbled over his words, trying to come up with an explanation of why he had some 18-year-old girl's undies in a box. He was probably also upset that he got caught. He had actually set up his computer to auto-delete conversations that he had so that his wife never found out about them. After Cindy found out, she boiled over with rage. But not just that, Cindy felt compelled as a mother of two young daughters herself to warn Jesse that she not only had the right to know who the real Tommy was, but she needed to be careful who she talked to on the internet, which is why Cindy wrote the letter. Once Jesse got the letter, she confronted Thomas. Why did he lie? Why did he lie? But why did he lie? Thomas told her he lied because he really, 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 really wanted to be Tommy for her. He knew that Tommy lived inside of him. It just so happened he was living in a middle-aged man's body. And no kidding, this is Tommy who says this. I mean, he literally tells this to a reporter. But with this conversation, communications between Jesse and Tom ceased for now. Almost as soon as Jesse found out about Tom's real identity, She remembered there was another gamer with the screen name Beefcake who seemed to know Marine Sniper well. 
she reached out to Beefcake, whose real name is Brian Barrett. And Jesse told Brian about the entire Marine sniper ordeal and that Thomas Montgomery had actually pretended to be an 18-year-old. Brian was shocked at hearing this information. You see, Brian and Thomas were real-life co-workers. They both were machinists at Dynabraid. Brian was a 22-year-old part-time employee. He also went to school where he was studying to be a teacher. Brian knew about Tahoe Blonde and Marine Sniper because Thomas Montgomery didn't keep it a secret. He was constantly talking about it at work. But Brian just minded his business. He had no idea that Thomas was leading a double life on the internet. Now that Brian had heard about the deceit and lies that Thomas was spreading online, he was kind of freaked out. But now, Taha Blonde was safe, right? She found out the truth ahead of time. And when she started chatting with Brian, she realized, holy crap, this guy is more my speed. He was 22 years old. He was way closer to her age than some weird 46-year-old with a wife and kids. And Brian was athletic. So almost as soon as Jesse dropped Marine Sniper like a hot potato, she picked up a new lust for Brian, a.k.a. Beefcake. And for two entire weeks, Beefcake and Taha Blonde exchanged pictures and chatted nonstop. After the ordeal with Cindy finding out about Thomas's secret online life, Thomas was still hurt. He really did love Taha Blonde, but he knew she was better off without him. By this point, it had been two weeks since they had last spoken and it didn't end well. Thomas was just about ready to move on with his life when he got a message from Jesse. Jesse told Thomas that her and Brian had been talking for a while and she even told him that the two of them had been sexting. It was almost as if Jesse was egging Thomas on. And of course, Thomas was tore up. He had actually fallen in lust for this girl and the fact that she had moved on so quickly with someone he actually knew. Thomas was not a happy camper, but Thomas knew that he was the one that screwed up first. So he apologized to Jesse again and Jesse and him exchanged a group of some pretty cheesy messages. Jesse told Thomas to not let Tommy die. (laughs) This is so cheesy, guys. I'm like ashamed to repeat it. And after Jesse told Thomas not to let Tommy die, he said he wouldn't because Tommy lived in Jesse's heart. And then Jesse said that she couldn't stop crying, which honestly vomit. (laughs) If the story ended here, however, this wouldn't be an episode on Military Murder Podcast. So the story must go on. And this is where we take a turn for the worse. After a little bit, Jesse began egging Brian on. She was egging him on about what a weirdo Thomas Montgomery was for lying on the Internet. And so Brian began telling everyone at work about Thomas and how he had been chatting and lying to an 18-year-old girl online. And that's when Thomas Montgomery's real-life persona and his online persona merged. And now Thomas's escape from reality was no longer possible. In fact, not only was Thomas embarrassed when he went to work, but Beefcake and Taha Blonde, well, they went online and they portrayed Thomas as a pedophile causing Thomas to be removed from some of his favorite online groups. This infuriated Thomas. He wanted the nightmare to end and he confronted Brian and he confronted Jesse. But that wasn't what made Thomas mad. What made Thomas mad was one day when he was at work and he overheard 
that Jesse had invited Brian Barrett to go visit her in West Virginia. You see, Thomas had wanted to be the one to have sex with Jesse first because she was a virgin. But now that she was with a 22-year-old, it actually might happen. And as soon as Tom heard that, he messaged Brian with some very vulgar messages, which I'm not going to repeat here. These messages, you can actually see them for yourself on the documentary if you choose to rent it. And let's just say that Thomas didn't stop there. He went on to send equally disturbing messages to Jesse. Mind you, this is the Sunday school teacher, the guy who is the vice president of the swim club. After that exchange of madness, Jesse got mad at Brian, telling him that all he wanted was sex. And so she told him that he was no longer invited to visit her. So all the drama that they had just both experienced was for naught because Brian never ended up traveling the almost seven hours from upstate New York to Oak Hill, West Virginia. And with that, Jesse started messaging Thomas Montgomery again. By now, Thomas Montgomery had become a yo-yo for Jesse. Toxic much? Whenever Jesse wanted, she messaged Tom and he was back in the palm of her hand. But this time, she was kind of no longer chatting with Brian. But even though Jesse was the one who initially made contact with Brian Barrett, Thomas was not mad at Jesse at all. No, no, no. He was mad at Brian and he was holding a grudge. Tom told Jesse that she had turned his heart ice cold. He absolutely hated Brian Barrett with a passion. And he also told her that for 10 cents, he would eliminate him. He told Jesse that, quote, payback is a mother end quote. And he told her that he was very close to killing Brian the other day. And Thomas Montgomery got even more dramatic, if that's possible, when he told Jesse that Brian would pay in blood. Jesse saw how mad Tom was and she promised to never talk to Brian again. But after she started chatting with some other men online, Thomas threatened to hurt both Jesse and her mother. He, no kidding, was like, I will drive my ass to West Virginia and hurt you. Now, this is enough to scare even the most brave of souls, considering that Thomas Montgomery actually had her mailing address. And so with this threat, Jesse went radio silent for a while. But then one day, Jesse contacted Thomas because her mother wanted to speak to him. And Thomas and Jesse's mom, well, they had a heart to heart where Jesse's mom told him, you need to cut it out. You're too old to be messing with my daughter. And Thomas, like a little child, was like, OK, OK, but tell her to never contact me again. And for a few weeks, Marine Sniper and Tall Hot Blonde, they ceased communication until you guessed it. Tall Hot Blonde sent Marine Sniper a message. She was defying her mama and she couldn't live without him. By now, MySpace is a thing. And while Jesse and Brian haven't chatted in a while, they're connected on MySpace. Like, I guess he shows up on her profile. Now, listen, I was never a MySpace user that I can recall. So I'm not 100% sure how it works. But all I know is that one day Thomas Montgomery logged onto MySpace he went to cyberstock Jesse and what did he see? He saw Brian Barrett was connected to Jesse and he lost his crap. Thomas was fueled with rage and he bombarded Jesse with messages like, quote, you will pay now. B you better be very afraid now. Quote, I told you what would happen if you and Brian got together End quote. Jesse read those messages and she got scared. She immediately messaged Brian and told him that Thomas was threatening to hurt him. 
But Brian didn't necessarily think Tom was capable of such a thing. Well, that's not completely true. You see, Brian did tell Jesse that Tom almost ran him over the other day in the parking lot. Brian wondered out loud if he should talk to anyone at Dynabraid about Thomas, but he never did. And then, two days later, Thomas made good on his threat. At around 10 p.m. on Friday, September 15th, Brian got out of work at Dynabraid. He parked his car towards the back of the parking lot, and at this point, the parking lot was desolate. Brian unlocked the door to his truck. He jumped in and closed the door behind him. But he didn't even have the chance to start the car when three gunshots rang out across the Dynabraid parking lot. On Monday morning, Dynabraid employees start trickling into work. When someone spotted Brian's car and the driver's side window appeared to be shattered, but it was like still holding on in one position. The police arrived to find 22-year-old Brian Barrett slumped over towards the center console. He was dead. There was blood all over the inside of the car. It appeared that Brian had been executed. The window had three distinct bullet holes. A quick walk around the crime scene revealed that one of the tires on Brian's car had been knifed and nearby lay some sort of like a cartridge or something. Another seemingly insignificant piece of evidence that the detectives found at the scene was a peach pit that was laying on the ground nearby. Because Brian had been parked towards the rear of the parking lot and he had no plans for the weekend, no one had been expecting Brian and that's why no one even realized he was missing all weekend. Sadly, someone had murdered Brian in cold blood. While we, my true crime army, may have an inkling of who did this, the cops, well, they start with a blank slate. They know nothing. So since the murder happened on Dynabraid property, that's where they start. And almost immediately, Brian's co-workers reveal that there had been some tension, a little bit of beef between Brian and a man twice his age. This guy's name was Thomas Montgomery, and he also worked at Dynabraid. Brian's co-workers tell the cops that the tension was due to an online love triangle. So detectives immediately look into this when they realize that Thomas is nowhere to be found. So detectives suspect that if there's a love triangle, the other party to this love triangle might be in danger. Detectives attempt to find any information for this tall, hot, blonde person. And they're talking to people at Dynabraid and they're like, yeah, we all we know is that her name is tall, hot, blonde. But then at the police station, there's this young, hip intern, or maybe it's a person who already works there, but they're kind of on the younger side. They get onto MySpace and boom, they find Tall Hot Blonde, a.k.a. Jesse from West Virginia. By 6 a.m., West Virginia police are sent to do some sort of a welfare check at Jesse's house. And police knock on the door and a woman eventually answered. The police are like, ma'am, what's your name? And she's like, my name is Mary Sheeler. And the police are like, OK, cool. Well, do you have a daughter named Jesse? Because we need to speak to her. Mary Sheeler told police that she did have a daughter whose name was Jesse, but she lived in a different city. So police asked Mary Sheeler for Jesse's phone number because it's imperative they speak to her. They have reason to believe that her daughter's life is in danger due to her recent contacts with people on the Internet. Marie told police that she didn't have any good way to communicate with her daughter. And police, they're a little bit confused, like, woman, do you understand the words that are coming out of our mouth? Your daughter is in danger. Then they look at Mary and Mary is looking real nervous. And as police are trying to get to the bottom of this, Mary Sheeler said the most unbelievable thing imaginable. Mary told police that she 
she had been the one communicating online using her daughter's profile. I'm sorry, what? Come again now? The police are probably wondering if this is an episode of Punked because what? Yes, yes, you heard me correctly. Let me explain. You see, at the beginning of this story, we learned that Thomas Montgomery catfished Taha Blonde when he told her that he was an 18-year-old Marine, knowing full well that he was a 40-something-year-old married man with two daughters. But little did he know that Jesse from West Virginia, a.k.a. Red Lacey Undies, a.k.a. Taha Blonde, well, he had not actually been communicating with Jesse, the one from the pictures, but the entire 18 months, he had been chatting, talking, and sexting with Jesse's 44-year-old mother. But you know that song where Jesse's mom has got it going on? Well, in this case, no, 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 she did not have it going on. What in the world? Honestly, this story would be laughable, but for the fact that someone was actually murdered. Mary Sheeler was 44 years old. She was short and stocky. She was married, had been married for close to two decades, and she had two kids, a son and a daughter, who were now practically adults. Mary Sheeler was a bored housewife who used actual pictures of her beautiful, tall, hot, blonde daughter to meet men online. All of the images that both Thomas and Brian received from Jesse, you guessed it, they were actual pictures of the real-life Jesse taken by her mother. When the police discovered Jesse's real identity, they brought Mary down for questioning and she told them everything. They tell her that Brian Barrett, a.k.a. Beefcake, was murdered and she told police that she knew for a fact that Thomas Montgomery did it because after the murder, he called her and told her that Brian was easy to take care of. Detectives in upstate New York eventually get a hold of Thomas Montgomery, but he denied, denied, denied all involvement in Brian's murder. And then police tell him the truth about Jesse. He's been having an online relationship with Jesse's short, overweight, 40-something-year-old mom. And Thomas Montgomery is shook. But he ain't saying nothing else. And without concrete proof, no eyewitnesses, and a statement from a known liar, a.k.a. Mary Sheeler, the police need to find tangible evidence connecting Thomas Montgomery to Brian's murder. Well, police confiscate Thomas's computer, they take Mary's computer, and they even take Brian Barrett's computer. And that's where they find the web of lies. Turns out that the only person telling the truth in this entire story was Brian Barrett, the victim. As police are digging, they know that the murder weapon was a 30 caliber weapon. And as they're interviewing employees of Dynabraid, there's a few folks who remember having a distinct conversation with Thomas Montgomery, where Tom actually told them that if he ever committed a murder, he would use an M1A1. Well, the M1A1 is a 30 caliber weapon, and our boy Thomas is a gun-toting fanatic. During a sweep of his house, they confiscate his guns and a gun case that he owns, but they don't find the gun that matches the crime scene. They do some more digging, and they find a picture that is a few years old. It's a picture of Cindy Montgomery sitting somewhere near this gun case. They send the picture to the FBI, and the FBI is able to enhance the image of the gun case, which this gun case is like a display case where it has like a glass door where you can see inside. And the FBI is able to determine that Thomas Montgomery was the proud owner of an M1A1 rifle at one point. 
but that weapon is MIA. And Thomas isn't saying anything about where it went. But this picture isn't the only evidence that ties Thomas to the crime scene. Remember that peach pit by the car? It has Thomas's DNA all over it, which is really odd. What was Thomas doing? Eating a peach while he was waiting for Brian? And that clip found towards the rear of Brian's car? Turns out it belongs to Thomas Montgomery. And listen, what I'm about to say next is not really evidence of the crime, but it is evidence of how deep Thomas Montgomery got himself into this internet mess. Detectives found a note in Tom's locker at work, and the note reads in part, quote, On January 2nd, 2006, Tom Montgomery, 46 years old, ceases to exist and is replaced by an 18-year-old battle-scarred Marine. He has money in the bank, $2.5 million, and has a 9-inch boop. Y'all, I cannot make this stuff up. Okay, let's move it right along. On November 27, 2006, two months after Brian's murder, Thomas Montgomery was arrested and charged with Brian's murder. Initially, Thomas's defense attorney considered some sort of insanity plea, but the planning and all of the messages that Thomas had been sending for months, they showed way too much planning for someone who did not have the mental capacity to form intent. When Thomas was first arrested, he attempted suicide, first by going on a hunger strike, causing him to lose 100 pounds. He ended up weighing about 130 pounds by the time of his trial. He also got a hold of some sleeping pills in jail and took those in an attempt to kill himself, but he survived. Thomas's attorney met with Thomas several days leading up to the trial as they discussed the possibility of a plea deal. Thomas wanted to use the defense of having an alibi. He claimed he was home with his wife and daughters when the murder occurred, so it couldn't have been him. But Cindy Montgomery was not about to lie for her husband. She told police the truth. My husband was not home that night. Thomas can even be heard during a jailhouse call asking his daughters to testify on his behalf, because if they don't, he'll go to jail. It, this is really such a sad case where two parents, Thomas, a father, and Mary Sheeler, a mother, betrayed that most sacred role of a parent. Thomas wanted his daughters to lie for him, and Mary got her rocks off by sending her daughter's pictures to other men. Woof. Eventually, Thomas Montgomery agreed to plead guilty to first-degree manslaughter, and he did this in exchange for a lenient sentence. Thomas was sentenced to 20 years in jail, which, if he earns good time, he will serve between 16 or 18 years, meaning this guy's going to be out any minute. The judge was not a happy camper about this case. She told him that the death of Brian Barrett was the result of a non-existent relationship which was senseless. Mary Sheeler, you probably have so many questions about her. Well, she did not participate in the documentary, surprise, surprise. Actually, she did agree to be interviewed, but she refused to show her face on camera because she doesn't want Thomas Montgomery to know what she looks like when he gets out. And honestly, I don't blame her. She started a war that she does not want to be a part of, and Thomas Montgomery does appear to have a few loose screws, and he probably holds a grudge. Mary's husband, Tim, he spoke on camera, and I really feel the pain in his eyes. He said that he had no idea that his wife was living a double life. In fact, even after Brian was murdered and the police came to the house, 
her husband had no clue because he was working. It wasn't until Mary had to testify in New York that she told her husband and she played down the entire thing. She told her husband that she did something that was not good. She had been online talking in group settings and she had been chatting with various guys. Well, she told him one guy got jealous of the other guy and then killed him. (laughs) That is what? That is not what happened. Her then husband, Tim, was like, wait, what? That doesn't make any sense. Well, fast forward a few months and the actual real life Jessie, Mary's daughter, she starts hearing rumors about her mom. So she goes home one day, she sits at the computer and she Googles her mother's name. And that's when the truth of what happened was revealed. Jessie was absolutely shocked to find the headlines that read, quote, a pretend web romance, then a real life murder, quote, bizarre internet love triangle. All the stories mention a mother who used her daughter's images to hook men online. Jesse confronted her dad like, did you know about this? But he promised her that he had no idea. And then the floor was ripped right from underneath this family when they realized what Mary Sheeler had actually done. Tim thought his relationship with his wife was good. And now he wonders if during the day, his desperate housewife was online fueling her lust and then using him to release her fantasies at night. It's actually really sad. When investigators combed through Mary's computer, they discovered that she had thousands of pictures of her daughter, very paparazzi-like. Some of them were posed, but some of them looked like sneaky pictures of Jesse's backside. There was one compromising picture where Mary actually took a picture of her daughter's skirt, like up her skirt, clearly without Jesse's consent. Of these more provocative pictures, Mary would send them to various men online and ask, do you like? Because her daughter was over 18 years of age, the images were legal, although the under the skirt image is really questionable. The question on everyone's mind, so what did they charge Mary with? And the answer is nothing. There was nothing they could charge her with. While she was the fuel that flamed the fire, she never told Thomas Montgomery to kill Brian, and she had no idea that he was actually going to do it. Now, I do want to stop here to say something real quick. You may have heard this story on other shows. In various places that I've heard this story, I heard that Thomas killed Brian the weekend that he was supposed to go visit Jesse. But in the documentary that I watched, it was told, or the way that story was told, was that Thomas killed Brian after he saw the connection on MySpace. In either event, I just wanted to let you know that's what I read. The news articles that I read did not clarify this issue as to whether it was when Brian was supposed to go visit Jesse or whether it was after the MySpace issue. But I did want to pinpoint it out for you so that you knew where I was coming from in the way that I told this story. All right. Jesse did not want to be interviewed for the documentary, but you do get to see her walking with her dad in the hallways during the documentary. You can see the sadness in her eyes, and I just imagine the betrayal that she must feel. At the time the documentary was filmed, Jessie no longer had a relationship with her mother. Mary Sheeler has never apologized to her daughter, nor offered an explanation. And quite frankly, I'm not sure that any explanation would ever make sense. When Mary Sheeler was interviewed, she told the interviewer that she continued talking to Montgomery even after she found out he was in his late 40s because she was trying to protect other young girls on the internet. Mary's son says that Mary still spends a lot of time online. 
I think the craziest part about this entire case is that if Mary and Thomas had not lied about their identity, they would have been great together, minus, you know, being married and all. But they were both in their 40s, had grown kids and seemed very bored in their respective marriages. I guess if that were the case, this might be a very different episode. Brian Barrett's family participated in the documentary, and they are very angry that Mary could never be charged with a crime. Brian's dad, Dan, he blames himself for his son's death because he was the one that gave him the ad for the job listing and encouraged him to apply to Dinah Braid. Clearly, he is not to blame. This was a crazy catfish story. If you're new here, make sure you go back to episode five where I cover a different catfish story that will leave you just as equally shook, if not more than today's story. All right, everyone, that's a wrap. If you're interested in supporting the show and you're interested in more content, be sure to check out my Patreon at patreon.com slash military murder, where I release a new bonus episode every month. Also, if you listen on Apple Podcasts, you may have noticed that I have released a new premium subscription. The premium subscription on Apple is virtually identical to the $5 level on Patreon. All right, everyone, be sure to follow me on social on Instagram at Military Murder Podcast and on TikTok at Military Margot with a T at the end. My primary social media account is Instagram because TikTok is weird sometimes. So be sure to follow me on Instagram first. This show was created by Mama Margot Productions and is produced in collaboration with my bootcamp and higher fan club members. Our executive producers this month are Jen, Tina, Alicia, Bob, Falcon 13, and Nicole. This month's newest associate producers are Justin, Aaron, Helen, and Chance. This month's newest assistant producers are Denisha and Steve. The music was created by TyOps. Until next time, remember, you never really know what someone is capable of. So remain vigilant always. You have a fabulous week and I'll keep digging to bring you another military murder story next time. Working on our podcast. I don't want to.